Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Psalm 30. The ascription here says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. However, not all translations have it that way. The New King James Version, for example, has it a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. The Hebrew habayit could go either way, and scholars advance solid arguments for a variety of plausible options. At the heart of the psalm is David's confession of a complacent spirit. In his prosperity, after a seemingly unbroken string of blessings, victories, and triumphs, David became arrogant. He became presumptuous, and it became necessary for God to chastise him. Thankfully, however, God was merciful, and his chastisement, though sharp, was blessedly brief. And on the other side of this necessary but humiliating event... David is able to praise God again, this time from a more mature and stable foundation. Now, W.S. Plumer argues persuasively for a setting inside the events narrated in 1 Chronicles 21 to 22. Thus, David's complacency would be understood to relate to his foolish decision to call for the census. His chastisement would thus correspond to the plague that fell upon the nation as a result. His joy over the unexpected brevity of the chastisement would thus correspond to God's gracious decision to cut the plague short after just one day. The dedication of the house or temple would thus correspond to the ceremony for the dedication of the altar at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite as narrated in 1 Chronicles 21, 18-30. Immediately after that, we have the narration of all the materials that David began assembling for the construction of the temple on that very site. Now, I think that makes a great deal of sense, but thankfully, our appreciation of the psalm is not dependent upon our precise understanding of the historical context. However, we want to illustrate this psalm in our minds. The spiritual impact and messaging of the psalm remains the same. The psalm illustrates how praise is refined and improved through affliction. It illustrates the well-known principle that it is hard for God to bless a sinful man or a sinful woman. Peace and prosperity make us complacent and presumptuous. And so in the process of our maturation, God wisely applies a variety of sharp but limited chastisements. And as we emerge From those chastisements, we're able to praise the Lord from a more mature and wizened perspective. Structurally, then, we should understand the praise at the margins of the psalm as emerging out of the sufferings and afflictions that are narrated at the center. So like a volcanic atoll in the Pacific Ocean, this is praise from the heights that has been birthed from the hidden depths of Sheol. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. 
O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So again, this is high praise. I mean, those, those are some of the most glorious and well-known words of praise in all the Bible. This is high praise that was clearly birthed out of a time of severe affliction. David talks about being drawn up out of a pit. The Hebrew word he uses there in verse 1 is actually the word you would use to describe drawing a bucket up out of a well. So David was down. He was in Sheol. He had one foot in the grave. If Plumer is right in his understanding of the historical setting, then it would appear that David himself was sick with whatever plague had befallen the nation. But he cried out to God, and the Lord healed him. He restored his life, and he restored the life of the nation. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, you will recall from the story in 1 Chronicles 21 that God had given David a choice of chastisements. 1 Chronicles 21, 11 to 12 records God saying to David through the prophet Gad, choose what you will, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Closed quote. David, very wisely, chose to fall into the hand of the Lord directly. He chose the plague. A plague that was supposed to last three days. And it was a brutal plague. After a single day, 70,000 men of Israel had fallen. David and the elders were repenting before God and sackcloth. And all of a sudden, the Lord relented. Verse 15 of First Chronicles 21 says, And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw, and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Quote. So that's why they put the temple there. As you will no doubt recall, David bought that field. And verses 26 to 27 go on to say that David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into its sheath. Close quote. So that's the story, it would seem, behind those beautiful words in verse 5 of Psalm 30. His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, as always, when we read the Bible, we want to update our understanding of God. J. Alec Montier is helpful here. He says, His holiness 
includes a capacity to move at speed from anger to favor, closed quote. Well, I think that's important for us to see. Just because God is angry with you today doesn't mean that he will be angry with you tomorrow. If you respond appropriately, he may forget immediately. His holiness includes a capacity to move at speed from anger to favor. Thanks be to God. Verse 6, and this takes us into the interpretive center of the psalm. David says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. I have a friend who's fond of saying that it is hard for God to bless a sinful man. And I imagine it's equally hard for God to bless a sinful woman. Derek Kidner says here, commenting on verse 6, Easy circumstances and a careless outlook are seldom far apart. Close quote. And that's the challenge, isn't it? God wants to bless us. We are often not mature enough, however, to handle those blessings. God lifted David up from the sheep pens. He blessed him. He gave him victory wherever he went. And what did it do? It made David arrogant, complacent, and self-reliant. That's the challenge. But thankfully, though David was often a terrible sinner, he was also a tremendous repenter. He learned his lesson quick. And he immediately responded the way that you should. He fell on his face. He got some brothers together. They fell on their faces wearing sackcloth, which is really itchy and is intended to express humility and grief before God. David did that, got his brothers together. They did that, and God's anger turned away. He saw that the afflictions had been effective, and so he mercifully cut them short. John Calvin says here, commenting on verse 8, This is the chief advantage of afflictions, that while they make us sensible of our wretchedness, they stimulate us again to supplicate the favor of God, close quote. You see, God doesn't send afflictions because he likes sending afflictions. He sends afflictions because they are needed to cure us of our arrogance and self-reliance. That was the effect they had on David. They knocked him off his throne and drove him to his knees where he was most effective. Verses 11 to 12 contain the second of the outer rings of praise. The psalm is structured. It's it's got praise on the outside and then an explanation of where it came from at the inside. So now we're into the second outer ring, the, the outer right, if you're reading from left to right, the outer right ring of praise. David says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may... Sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The NIV has a slightly different rendering of the first part of verse 12. It says that my heart may sing your praises. The Hebrew word is kavod, and it is usually translated as glory, though as Willem van Gemmeren explains, it frequently refers to the whole human being or existence, close quote. And thus the sense here is that David is saying, Now I shall praise you with all that I am, 
Having been down to the depths of Sheol, I shall ascend to the heights of heaven. As for the use of this psalm, Matthew Henry is helpful here. He says, in singing this psalm, we ought to remember with thankfulness any like deliverances wrought for us, for which we must stir up ourselves to praise him, and by which we must be engaged to depend upon him, close quote. So has God been more gracious and more merciful to you than your arrogance and self-reliance would deserve? Has he withdrawn his hand and treated you better, actually, than your sinful and rebellious actions warrant? Well, if so, then do as David did. Humble yourself, get off your throne, acknowledge his kindness, and worship him. For truly, His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.